Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me this morning. So good to see you. We're glad that you're here in the middle of a rainy, cold uh, virus Sunday, right? And here you are. You're the faithful crew. How many of you know being thankful is better than complaining? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us, you care for us, and Lord, we're here to listen to your word and learn of you, and God, we're just so grateful for everything you do for us, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Guys, I got a ring up here at the front. If you take care of that for me, that'd be awesome. Well, we, we do have a lot to be grateful for, don't we? Someone said that our garbage disposal and our trash cans eat better than 30% of the rest of the world. And I don't doubt that that's absolutely the truth. And so we are thankful people, and we should be thankful. There are over 100 references in your Bible about being thankful and thanksgiving. The, the book of the Bible where is uh, the reference of being thankful and thanksgiving the most is the book of Psalms. So when you go through the Psalms, you, you have this thanks and thanksgiving, being thankful. And I want to refer to one. This is Psalm chapter 69, verses 30-31. It's a Psalm of David. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull. And maybe that's why God called David a man after his own heart, because he was full of thanks and thanksgiving. And, and David's not perfect. How many of you know David was a rascal? Do we have any rascals here? Don't hold up your hand. Just point to them. And uh, so, uh, God is full of mercy and grace, and we can be thankful for that mercy and grace, even if we mess up and we have some issues in our own personal life like David did. But God still loves us in spite of our faults and failures, but we're so thankful that uh, He does. Another place of thanks, which is the second most uh, common place where you hear thanks and thanksgiving, is the book of Nehemiah. And I thought, why is thanksgiving and thanks referred to so many times in Nehemiah? And I think it's this. They've been in captivity for 70 years. And now they're coming out. And guess what? They're thankful that they're leaving that captivity and they're blessing God, being thankful and giving thanksgiving to God because their situation has changed. How many of you know when Jesus Christ comes into your life, your situation changes? And it changes for the better, right? So we have to look for that thanksgiving in our own life. Tim Keller said, gratitude is what you feel, thanksgiving is what you do. And really, thanksgiving should be proactive, right? It's uh, active, intentional, contagious. It is not held inside, it's shared with others. It's what comes out of us and overflows out of our life. And that inward gratitude should be expressed outwardly in, in our life. So it's not just thanksgiving. How many of you know it's thanksgiving? So it's what we should do every day. And sometimes we don't do that because we see the problems instead of the blessings. And really thanksgiving shouldn't be just the fourth Thursday of November. How many of you know it should be every day of your life? So thanksgiving should be thanksgiving and we should be in that mode. In uh, 1913, Eleanor Porter wrote the book Pollyanna. Has anybody seen the movie Pollyanna? Uh, Haley Mills, she was uh, uh, an 11-year-old girl that was sent to live with her aunt, and her aunt was uh, pretty cold and indifferent and cruel at times. And, 
And she was raised by a father and a mother who was in the ministry and missionaries, so she had a great outlook on life. And in 11 years, she's thrust into this community that's very negative. And so she came up with what her father taught her was the glad game. Do you remember that in the movie, the glad game? So you, you take something negative and you try to find something that's glad in the middle of it. So uh, there is this uh, bachelor that's pretty negative that she took the little crystals and made sparkly things out of. And then there's Agnes Moorhead that plays the, the older lady who's always dying. She's a hypochondriac. And finally, one part of the movie, Haley Mills, uh, Pollyanna goes in and she gets mad and says, I'm not going to visit you anymore because you're always talking about dying, you're not talking about living. And then there's the support cast and the gardener and the cooks around her aunt's house. And so they're gathered together on a Sunday afternoon, they're fixing a lunch, and they're all upset over the preacher. How do we remember the preacher? Carl Malden played the preacher in, in the series, and... Uh, he, every Sunday he preached hell, fire, and brimstone. You remember that? Uh, he gets up, you're all going to hell type message. So they're after church, and they're complaining about Sundays and the preacher in church. And they, they said, you know, it's pretty hard to hear that message every Sunday on a stomach full of ham and eggs. And so they're complaining. And Pollyanna says, well, let's play the glad game. Let's think of something positive. And they just like, attacker you know there's nothing positive and so they said what's positive about Sunday and so she thought she thought she thought and this was her answer well it's at least six days before we have Sunday again <laughs> um, kind of like you know coming here and listening to me to preach on hellfire and brimstone every Sunday right but there's always something to smile and be happy about if you can find it so you have to look for the positive and not the negative, and not only in your personal life, but in your family, because we all have stuff, right? And you always have that aunt, that uncle, or, or somebody that you know that's not very positive, and you're going to meet with them this week, and you're looking forward to it, aren't you? And if you don't know who it is, I always say it's you. But... Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you'd like to turn there, I want to give you just a little outlook on what Paul told Timothy about the time we live in. He said, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So when you look at these acknowledgments that what Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying that this is the time that we live in. How many of you know, number one, he said it's the last days. Say that with me, the last days. Now let's all say it, the last days. I believe we're living in the last of the last days. And just what's happening in our world and our economy and politics, I believe we're being set up. For last day times. Now, I don't know what you believe, but I believe that. And if it was the last days in the time of Peter and Paul, how many of you know we're in the last of the last days here? So he, he says that we live in the last days. People are more concerned about themselves. They love themselves. Um, we're, we're a part of the selfie generation, right? Do you know the first selfie was taken in 1839? They didn't call it a selfie. Uh, and only until the 1900s do we have this term selfie kind of come about. It actually really kind of began over in, in Japan and 
migrated to the United States. They, they love themselves. They love money. They're proud. They're boasters, blasphemers. The kids are disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, traitors, headstrong, brutal. They hate the good. They love pleasure. They're not lovers of God. I think it was Tanner said, I looked through this and there was like 19 different things that are very negative here. And, and listen, we can say that because of our fallen nature, we tend to slouch toward the negativity. It's just what we do as humans. And you have to really get into a new you know, mind frame and a new spirit to think on the good things. If there's any virtue, praise, or anything good, then we need to focus our mind on what's positive, not negative. Now, one of the reasons that Israel had a problem of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and that generation that came out of Egypt, except for two people, never entered into the Promised Land, and here was their primary problem. They were unthankful, and they complained all the time. They were unthankful, they complained all the time. And God had a problem with that. I want to give you just a little sketch here. Exodus 5 they complained to Moses when he went to talk to Pharaoh because then Pharaoh made it harder on them. They complained when they saw the Egyptian arm, uh, army closing in on them before God parts the Red Sea. They complained about the bitter waters of Marah. They complained about being hungry. They complained about being thirsty. They complained about Moses going on the mountain, being gone for several days. They thought he was dead. Then they began to worship the golden calf. How many of you know the reason they gave for worshiping the golden calf? You, you talk about <laughs> so lame. He, he says, what happened here? Well, I don't know. We just threw our jewelry and our earrings in this furnace, and out came this golden calf. So we just danced around it naked. Have a good day, Moses. So, I mean, they were just going from one failure to another failure to another. They complained about having no meat. They complained about the leadership of Moses. They complained about being brought out to Egypt to die in the wilderness. No food, no water. And we're tired of this worthless bread. You know what the worthless bread was? Manna that fell down from heaven. So God, in the end, sends fiery serpents out to bite them, and they start dying because they're just... I mean, they're complaining all the time. Listen, complaining keeps you from the promises of God. Keeps you from where God's taking you and where God's taking me. Now, here's a question. Why is complaining bad for you? So I looked this up, and there's actually studies on gripey people. I know a few people I would suggest for the study. Y'all are so holy this morning. And this is actually true. So why is complaining bad for you? Number one, it makes you more likely to think negatively. Negative. And that's true. Neuroscience say every time you complain, your brain physically rewires itself for you to keep having the same reaction. So when you complain, your brain is saying, I'm a complaining brain and I'm rewiring myself to be negative and it brings and it breeds more negativity. Number two, it can damage your memory. MRI scans show that constant complaining can lead to the shrinking area of your brain responsible for cognitive functioning. Number three, it increases your level of cortisol. How many of you ever heard of cortisol? It's called the stress hormone. So when you complain, cortisol rises up in your body, and high levels of cortisol can lead to health problems, uh, depression, Digestive problems, sleep issues, higher blood pressure, and even the risk of heart disease. Number four, it shortens your life 
span. And I don't know, I read this and I thought, well, I know a few people who are negative, maybe that's a good thing. Um, one study published in the Archives of General Psychiatry found that the optimist lives longer and pessimists live shorter, with a 55% lower risk of death for the optimist and a 23% higher risk of dying from heart failure for the negative person. Number five, it makes the people around you negative too. So when you live a life of negativity, that goes into your children and your spouse, and you're infecting other people with your negative lifestyle. Somebody say amen. And when you listen to them, you become like them. So if there's ever a place that we need to look at this, it's certainly in the family. Because we don't want to perpetuate this, just like Moses and the children of Israel, those complaining people did not reach the destination that God wanted for them. And listen, God wants your family, He wants all of us to reach where He wants us to go. There are dreams and aspirations, there's things that you, your children, your grandchildren need to achieve, and by listening to the Word of God, how many of you know we can head that direction? And certainly, through this series, when we spent several weeks, Matt and I, talking about this, and we're not here to, you know, browbeat you about family. We're here to help our families. And all of us need the help. And we all look to the Word of God for that help. I want you to look at Malachi chapter 2. And if we could get our families, not just living in Thanksgiving, but go into Thanksgiving, I think it would help us. Now, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. We're going to start in the middle of the chapter, verse number 13. But as I read this, I learned a lot this week as I studied. I've never taught out of this. I've never preached out of this. So you're the guinea pigs today, but listen up. And this is the second thing you do. The second thing you do. Everybody say second. So the question is, what's the first thing? Well, God is addressing really two issues here. The first one, he addresses the priest in the first few verses. And he tells the priest, hey, you've fallen, you faltered, you failed to take care of my people. Now, we'll talk about that here in a minute. This is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he, talking about God, does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one? How many of you know he took the two, they became one, right? Having a remnant of the Spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring, therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Now, he uses this word over and over, the word treacherously. Now, what does that mean? Well, in this case, it means to transgress, to be deceitful, unfaithful, to fraud, to hide, to cover up, and to offend. So, here's something I learned in this chapter. The, the, you know, I've been preaching the gospel for 40-something years, but in this chapter, I learned something. God's dealing with two things. Number one, he's dealing with his bride, and then he says, you need to deal with your bride. Now, think about this. So he says, priest, you are dealing with my bride. How many of you know we are the family of God? And we need to treat each other like family. If the church becomes anything other than 
family, then we've morphed it into something that shouldn't be. It's not denomination. It's not organization. It's not business. It is family. Everything that the Bible talks about the church or his people revolves around family. We have a heavenly father. We call each other brothers and sisters. We have spiritual mothers. We have spiritual fathers, right? We are the bride of Christ. We have been adopted into the family. We have been baptized into the family. We have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. How many of you know that's all family? Whether there's five of us, 50 of us, 500 of us, or 5,000, the church should always be family. And if we look outside of that concept, we change the church into something that should not be. Now, look at this. He says to the priest, you need to take care of my people. And this is the complaint he has against the priest. They did not reverence his name. The law of truth was not in their mouth. They did not deal with justice, but with injustice. They've departed from the way. They have corrupted the covenant. Everybody say covenant. They corrupted the covenant. Now listen, the covenant between God and His people is like family. We are the bride, we're the family, right? And He says, you've got to take care of my bride, you've got to take care of my family. Now secondly, He deals with us personally and not just corporately. Look here. Verse 14, he deals with the marriage relationship between them and their wives. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt, what? Treacherously. She is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 15, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Verse 16, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and do not deal treacherously. So he says, listen, I want my family, my bride to be taken care of. And listen. I want you to take care of your bride too. Did you get it? I want you to take care of your bride, and I want the offspring that comes from that union to be taken care of, and I want it to be in justice. I want it to be fair. I want it to be loving. But he says, priest, you've not done that to the bride corporately, and listen, men, you have not done that to your families individually. So... God has a complaint, doesn't he? First complaint, corporate. Second complaint, individual. You know what? Sometimes being in a family can be extremely tiring. It just wears you out. Last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, we, we had our kids down, and, and Aaron and Natalie and Riley and Ian, and uh, they were there for most of the day. Uh, a friend of mine told me this little ditty, and and I think about it every once in a while. He says, uh, I've seen the lights of Paris. I've seen the lights of Rome. But the best lights I've ever seen are the taillights of my kids taking my grandchildren home. <laughs> so we, we had them on Saturday. 
And we love them. I, I mean, we look forward to them. I FaceTimed them this morning, and Riley was eating pizza, and, and Aaron said that he uh, told Riley this morning, said, man, I love you big. And, and he said, you mean big like Cece? And he said, well, yeah. And said, I, I love you big like Papa. And she said, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> Papa's a big love. But... So they're down Saturday, you know, Ian weighs about 25 pounds, and Riley's over 35, and you're picking them up all day, and you're in the pasture, and they bring out every toy in the house, and, and uh, you know, there's macaroni and cheese in the carpet. How many of you get the picture? It's like a little whirlwind goes through your house. So they leave, and so Carrie and I, we wave in the driveway, we go in, we pick a few things up, and I told Carrie, I said, I'm going to bed. She said, I said, I'm going to bed. It's 7.45. I'm telling you the truth. I go in, I take my clothes off, I get in bed. And she said, you're going to bed? I said, yeah. And she followed me to bed. Because we're wore out. That's why God gives children to young people, right? And, uh, you know, you just get to the point where you just say, man, that was tough. But you love it. I mean, it's a good kind of thing, but it still just wears you out. And here God is saying, you know, you, you, you got to take care of this. You, you need to do what is right. You need to take care of your family. And this word keeps coming up over and over in this passage. It's the word covenant. Did you see it? He uses covenant, 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 covenant. Now listen, I know with the state, I know with the government, uh, and you hear people say this, well, marriage is just a piece of paper. It's just a license. How many of you ever heard that? Just a piece of paper. Well, and, and that is true. It's a piece of paper with God. How many of you know it's more than a piece of paper? He says it's a covenant. Now, I want you to think about something. You ready? Here's the question. Why did God not create Adam and Eve the same? So Adam is formed from the dust of the earth, right? He takes him, he forms him, he fashions him to the dust of the earth. He makes a man, then he breathes into him, and Adam becomes a living soul. But when he got ready to create Eve, it's totally different. What, what did he do with Eve? He takes Eve from the side of Adam, he takes a rib out, then closes him back up, and then he makes his wife Eve. Why did he do that? Well, I think I know the answer. You ready? Every covenant, and the word itself means this, it means sacrificial to cut and blood. You cannot have a covenant without blood and cutting. The covenant with Abraham for the people of Israel that would come after him was circumcision. Now to have circumcision, it takes cutting and blood. So pastor, just stop there, but how many of you get the picture? When he made another covenant with Abraham, he put the sacrifice and they cut it up in pieces and they walked between the pieces of the sacrifice for covenant. You cannot have covenant without blood and cutting and sacrifice. When Jesus Christ came along, then we have a new covenant. You with me? We have a new covenant. But that new covenant, Matt talked about it this morning, that new covenant only comes from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ where there was bleeding and cutting and sacrifice. Can I hear an amen? When God took Eve out of the side of Adam, it took cutting and blood, and sacrifice, so then he is showing us 
every relationship in the future on this level, he's saying it is not just a piece of paper. It's not a license. God started out the marriage with what? Covenant. So this is deeper than what we know and sometimes what we even believe. This is a covenant relationship. And I want to tell you something. God always keeps His end of the covenant. And that's why He's God. And that's our only hope. Because if I would ask you, have you ever failed the Lord? Have you ever done something the Lord didn't tell you to do or you shouldn't have done? I'm going to guarantee you, if you're going to be honest... You're going to hold up both hands, and I'll hold mine up too. I have miserably failed God. But He keeps His covenant. And He is saying that you and I need to be and realize that family and marriage is covenant, and every child and every grandchild you're going to have comes out of that original covenant. And sometimes it hurts. And sometimes you feel like there's blood shed. And there's a few times you'd like to shed some blood. Okay, preacher. But covenant, by definition, is cutting and blood and sacrifice. And I tell you what, if we had an America that had family that tight, our America would be changed. About two or three years ago, when some of the writings had begun in the United States, I saw a little article where there was some people rioting, and there was a young man, he looked like he was 17, 18 years old, and he was in with the rioters. And it showed his mother coming into the riot, and almost grabbing him by the ear and saying, come on, son, you're not going here. If we had some more parents like that, if we had some families that raised their kids like that, I'm going to tell you, America would be a better place to live in. Because the foundation of society is not based on what some people think it's based on. It's based on that covenant relationship that began in Genesis chapter 2. And if we saw it that way, if our world would see it that way, and listen, we have messed up family in America. We've redefined it. We've redefined our sexuality. We've redefined our roles. When all the time God said, here's the definition, here's the role, here's how it works, and honey, it will work. If we'll do it right. And so we have to get our mind on how it works, right? So marriage and family's covenant. And in that covenant, there has to be security, consistency, and love, and time, and faith, and trust, and accountability, and values, and encouragement. They all have to be a part of that covenant between me and my wife, and my children, and my grandchildren. And someone says, as the family goes, so goes the nation. And I think you would agree with that. And as we see the destruction of the family, we see the destruction of the nation. So why would we take four or five weeks and just say, let's talk about family? Because God talks about family. Why would we talk about marriage? Because God talks about marriage. Why would we talk about sex? Because God invented sex. He's the one who talks about it, right? So let's not be the prudish church. Let's just talk about real issues. And let's talk about where, you know, we are engaged in this every day, every week, every month. And let's don't just look over the fence and act like it's not happening. Listen, my friends, we need to get God's values back into the family. Now, we don't want to be a treacherous people, do we? He used that word treacherous over and over and over. I mean, we want to be people that's loving and kind and good. 
But also we want to be a people that's thankful even in the midst of difficulty, just like the video we saw when we started the, the service today. You know, th there is a lot of bad things going on, right? Someone asked me, uh, I guess it was Thursday, he said, how's church going? And I said, pretty good. And they said, well, how many in attendance do you have? I said, pre-COVID or after COVID? Because, I mean, this is something we're just dealing with. It's not just us. I mean, all over the world, people are dealing with this. But thank God that you see the value and the importance and the essentialness of having a life rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus. And because of that, you can get through a lot of stuff. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And I, I want to share something as we close today. Sometimes we don't realize how thankful we should be for each other. I mean, we, we, we're, we're spoilt. I, I'm thankful that I have a house that will be warm when I get home. I'm thankful that my roof doesn't leak. I'm thankful I have a car to drive. I'm thankful that there's food in my refrigerator. I'm thankful I have a job. I'm thankful I have shoes. I'm, I'm thankful that, that I have clothes to wear. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for our church. And hopefully you're thankful for the pastor and the, the staff and, and the people around you who love you and care for you. Hopefully you're thankful for your family, even the weird ones. Because everybody's got them. And we have to come to this realization that complaining and being unthankful will keep you from arriving at your destination. Just as Israel, everyone who's 20 years old and older didn't arrive in the promised land. The Bible doesn't say it was for adultery. It doesn't say because they did this or that. One of the main reasons because they didn't arrive in the promised land, they were just complainers, and they were unthankful. And so therefore, let's not make the same mistake. Let's be thankful. And as our families gather this week, let's just have thanksgiving, right? Every day. Our family's growing. We, we have grandchildren. We have one on the way. And so Carrie is table shopping. Dining room tables. And the reason we're buying new dining room table is because we've got to seat more around the table now. And guess what? That's not cheap. Because we went shopping for dining room tables, and uh, you, know, you can spend a thousand, two, three, four, five, whatever. And they don't throw in the chairs. Just telling you, I didn't know. The chairs are expensive. Just like the table. So Carrie says, do you like this chair? I said, how much is it? She said, $300 a chair. I said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> she said, well, we could put, put a bench on the back side of it. I said, how much is the bench? She said, $1,000. <laughs> Sacrifice. <laughs> you want to shed blood. But it's part of it. Because every time you increase and every time you move forward, there's always a price to pay. And as your family grows, and as you deal with your issues in your family, and everybody's got them, let's look for the good. Pollyanna, let's play the glad game. Let's look for the good in the midst of the bad, and there's always going to be bad. That's what news sales 
with is the bad. They're not going to tell you all the good. They're going to keep you in fear. They're going to keep you confused. Let me tell you why. Because they're confused. Some journalism student who makes $30,000 a year is going to tell you how the world revolves. Every time I listen to that, it just makes me angry. It's kind of like this, and, and, and I'm going to get on the soapbox just for a little bit. It's kind of like cowboys that I know that's all belt, buckle, and boots. <laughs> that tells me how to raise cattle when they don't have any. But they got the truck, they got the hat, they got the buckle and the boots. I got hundreds of them, but they tell me how to do it. And I've hired a few of them. And they're worthless <laughs> in the real application. And sometimes we just have to play Pollyanna. We just smile and move on because there's going to be people telling you how to live your life, how to do your family, your marriage, your kids. And I can tell you, the people who can tell you how to raise kids the best, it's bachelors and old maids. They can tell you how to raise your kids, but they don't have any. There's going to be people who tell you how to live your life, how to focus on what is going on in the world. Many of them are perverts. Oh, I can back this up. They're just perverts. But yet they're on the television. They're telling you how to raise your family, what to like, what not to like. I'm getting off the box now. <laughs> but I'm telling you the truth. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Protect your marriage. Protect your children. Prepare them for the real world. Teach them about finances. Teach them about work. Teach them how to treat other people. Put the faith of God in them. Then you pull out the arrow of the quiver. You put it in the bow. You aim it to the target, and you release it. The Bible says that arrows and children have a correlation. The Bible in the Psalms says children are like arrows in the quiver of a mighty man. And what do you do with them? You take them out of the quiver, you put them in the bow, you aim them the right direction, and there's a point you've got to let them go. But before you let them go, how many of you know, you put love in them, you put instruction in them, you teach them, you train them, you nurture them, and then you let them go. And I believe if we let go some of those kids in the world, how many of you know they'll change the world? And I have a great, great outlook on a lot of the young people that are here today, those who have been raised up in this church. Let me tell you, I believe they're part of the solution. They're not part of the problem. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Would you bow your head with me today? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.